everybody, welcome to Chi Alpha Hours. Hours this week. I am still Nathan here with Cassie and Christian. In many of our sermons this term, we have been focusing on the miraculous. So Elijah uh, and his experience with God on the mountain, Jesus calming a storm, um, and uh, Jesus actually being raised from the dead, and all these are miraculous events. Um, and so we decided this week that we were going to talk about miracles and the supernatural. Um, we feel that this topic is actually uh, very important because there's actually a great deal of doubt in our society and even within the church as to the factuality of uh, the Bible and whether or not these miracles actually took place. Uh, and so we wanted to have uh, a conversation here about that and hopefully encourage everybody um, about the miraculous and how God can interact with them in the world mm -hmm. in miraculous ways. Uh, there are going to be two parts to this conversation. The first two questions are going to be focusing on like the biblical aspect of miracles and their meaning and the plausibility of the miraculous and the biblical account. And the second is going to focus more on uh, miracles now and God interacting with us miraculously and kind of focusing in on like our experiences here now and how God can do that and um, what to do when God doesn't do the miraculous. To start, Cassie and Christian, uh, let's ask the question, why are miracles in the Bible important? I think they tell us a lot about who God is. I mean, if the Bible is the story of God revealing himself to all of humanity and, and inviting us to participate in his grand story of creation and recreation and, and where we're going. Um, I think the, the miracles really come up at these points that tell us about God's character. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the miracles have to do with uh, God's power over creation. Um, I think of Jesus calming the storm and um, that shows that not only that Jesus was the son of God and had the authority of God, um, but also that he could still command creation and it would obey him. Um, or I think of other miracles where God protects his people and comes through in these, um, these incredible ways that are so beyond um, other gods or um, human authority. And so I think it's, it's teaching us a lot about God's character and his protective nature, as well as his ability to recreate um, and preserve human life in some really amazing and good ways. Including healings too, um, God God works a lot in in healing re in healing creation and in healing people, uh, especially as Jesus is ministering. I think it shows that He really values what exists and wants to recreate it uh, to become more like life would be in His kingdom. Yeah, and I think I think the key word you said there is just Cassie. You said the word authority. Mm -hmm. It just I think miracles really the miracles in the Bible really speak to you. The fact that God has authority over creation and that he has a, a great power over creation. And so um, and so these miracles, these things that seem to be outside of the norm, you know, um, these these miraculous events that seem to us to not be possible reading about them or even if, you know, in our life of when we're like blessed to be able to experience them, there are moments where God is saying, I am strong. I'm the creator. I'm authority. I have the authority and the power to do as I will. And um, there are moments for us to recognize, you know, to be humble in our own estimation, our own ideas, um, but then also to see how great and how big 
and how beyond our experience God is. Um, I also think there are some things that are really important to consider them um, in terms of being historically true. Um, you know, I think there's there was a movement back in the, you know, we're, you know, we're in the, what, 2020? Is that the year it is? Yeah. <laughs> so here we are in 2020. Um, but, you know, there's been a movement since, like, the beginning of the scientific explosion, you know, having to do with, like, Newton and afterwards, where um, a lot of rationalists or philosophical people have, like, brought into question, like, are the miracles in the Bible real? Um, and so there's like a lot of people, you know, t- including Thomas Jefferson, one of our founding fathers who, you know, he cut up the Bible, he cut up the New Testament and said, hey, um, yeah, I believe in Jesus's ethic. He's a good teacher, but there's no way he turned water into wine or there's no way he healed. I mean, there's no way he rose from the dead. These are impossibilities. And so um, these are things that are just can't be true. And it's really important that we take these as historically true in the Bible because it does say all those things that we just talked about in terms of that God, it, it witnesses to the fact of God's authority, his power. But more than that, like, you know, our story and our history in the world and God's interaction with the world is important to preserve. You know, so for me, um, you know, I have a regular life. Right. I, I go through my regular life and I have a, a general like like I wake up every morning, I see my kids, whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, when I was raised, I got parents. Well, one day my mom was diagnosed with cancer and uh, and then the next nine months were crazy and then she passed away. And that's part of my story. But what those are, those are cataclysmic moments. Those are important moments that defy the normal and they shape us profoundly. And what we see in the Bible is we see that the history of the world, it has a huge amount of stability and normalcy, but there are these moments that God revealed himself in the world that changed the course of history. You know, he spoke to Abraham and Abraham left his home and he began a new nation. Or um, God appeared to Moses and then he did all these miraculous things to Egypt and he made a nation out of a bunch of slaves. Mm-hmm. And then he conquered another people. And th- these are intricate moments of God's revelation and part of his interaction with the world. And so when we try to deny these things, not only are we denying the character of, of God, but we're also denying important moments that history now has been profoundly changed. Um, but these moments are so important for us to remember and for us to continue to hand down and realize like God's power so that we have a clear picture of, of how God's worked and how God has got us to the place that we see Jesus as the incarnation of God and it's part of our story now, you know? And so, so it's really important that we realize that these moments are moments of God interacting with history and, and changing things. Which shows us that God is interventionist and he acts directly and he's not just this removed God that I think a lot of people 
think he is. Yeah. Um, it's not that he's just out and floating and he's left humanity to their own devices, but he still cares about what's happening here. Yeah. That's like the deist idea, mm-hmm. you know, which is mm-hmm. what Thomas Jefferson believed, like God yeah. made the world and then he, <clears throat> then Peace he took out. off. Peace <laughs> out. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think um, very... So if you pull kind of a Thomas Jefferson where you cut out the miracles in which Jesus performs in particular, but all the miracles, but in particular Jesus, if you cut out the miracles, you actually make Jesus simply a man. Mm -hmm. Um, Aside from his claims. mm -hmm. Aside from his claims, you literally just are reducing Jesus to being a good teacher. Mm -hmm which there's been many, many influential thinkers throughout time, and we don't reduce them uh, uh, by saying that they're mere thinkers. But Jesus is not a mere thinker. Mm-hmm. He's also divine. And so you, you, if you cut out the miracles, you are actually, in fact, cutting out the miraculous conception of Christ. Yeah. Absolutely. And so God being, f- Jesus being fully God and fully man is so critical to our faith that to cut out the miraculous is actually to cut out the divinity of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing, and it, and there's so many things that fall into that. Like it, you you really just start pulling God apart mm-hmm. at that point. If you're like, yeah. there are no miracles. Jesus didn't perform miracles. You're you you are effectively calling Jesus a liar. Mm-hmm. because he did these things and he said things that led to miraculous events. And how can you actually have, so you have the paralytic who's lowered through a roof and he says, Hey, your sins are forgiven. But then you cut out the next part where he says, get up and walk. What have you done? <laughs> You've literally reduced Jesus to being unable to forgive sins. That's right. Yeah. You, you side with the Pharisees who are like, you're not God. You can't be, you can't be forgiving sins because you're not God. And Jesus literally tells that uh, that event is specifically trying to counter that claim. Mm-hmm. It's like, which is easier to say, uh, to forgive someone their sins or to say, get up and walk. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in, in the old world too, in the ancient world, they very much had this sense of like, it was probably one of the biggest issues for the first five centuries was if Jesus isn't divine, if, if he's not God incarnate mm-hmm. on earth, then, and he, if he hasn't died for our sins, if he hasn't connected himself with humanity, then we can't be with God. Mm-hmm. There's no fellowship with mm-hmm. God if Jesus is mm-hmm. less than God yeah. incarnate. Mm-hmm. And so like, well, that's exactly what you're saying. Like, it's mm-hmm. like, it, it speaks to his authority to say, that there's a salvation that's possible for mm-hmm. us if we if we don't believe in the miraculous. And I think one thing that's incredibly fundamental, though, second to that, is you undermine everything about the church for 2,000 years. So, so dating back all the way to the writing of the Gospels, there are a dozen men who are all saying, I knew this person, I saw him do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, why was it significant in the book of Acts 
that um, uh, it says that Jesus appeared to 400 men. <laughs> yeah. I think it's 400, right? It's saying this actually happened. Um, and so what? why is that significant? It's because you are effectively calling all the disciples liars and everyone who wrote the New Testament a liar. Mm-hmm. So what do you believe in? And so if they're a liar in this category on like literally what reality informed them about what actually happened in their own life, why would you ever believe a liar in their teachings mm-hmm. as well? Why would you believe uh, the wisdom of Paul in his epistles? Why would you believe in the fatherly kindness of John when he says, dear children, 27 times in the book of first John, I think it's 27 times. It's a beautiful sentiment anyway. But, um, yeah, like there's, there's something crucial to the fact that the miraculous did happen Mm -hmm. to those men's lives. And also it, I think it also kind of undermines the disciples commitment to the Lord. Like, this is something that baffles me. It's like, so you're calling this, or this is maybe a counterpoint to this is you are saying that the disciples themselves lied about these miraculous events and they were willing to submit to that lie to the point of martyrdom. Mm -hmm. 11 of 11 of the 12 were all like murdered for saying Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, essentially. Mm -hmm. I think we also I mean, based on that, have to remember the the political side of what was going on in that first century, where, I mean, these early Jews who um, encountered Jesus and then started following the way were the enemies of the other Jews. <laughs> like, Paul was persecuting people um, in this way. And mm-hmm. so there was a lot of motivation, actually, to prove that these miracles had not happened, right? Like, to prove that the resurrection had not happened, then, like, the the Jews who were following Jesus would have had nothing to stand on, right? Yeah. Um, so the the enemies of Jesus and all of his followers had a you know really good incentive <laughs> to go and prove that this had never happened, and the fact that there's no evidence suggests that it did. Um, and so I think I think that's especially powerful as a testament to we should consider them historically true, because you know if that many people are trying so strongly to prove that Jesus is not who he said he was, and they can't. Um, I mean, that says a lot, at least to me, in terms of, like, we have to we have to reckon with this, whether we believe in Jesus or not. I think that's the main, the main question is, you can't just say, well, I believe in this part of Jesus or not, because ultimately um, the miracles, like, in a sense, authenticate or show the power Mm-hmm. of his teaching um, I think a lot of people think they're like self-sustaining like just because oh yeah to love your neighbor as yourself that's just a a truism um, but the truth is is like when you really think about that it isn't necessarily a truism you know it's something like love your neighbor as yourself is that really going to benefit what of what benefit is it of you know and there's lots of people that could come to a place of figuring out well actually I don't know, people can figure out ways to thrive without loving their neighbors themselves. But in the end, why is that important? Because at the end of days, there's going to be a judge and he's made us a certain way. Um, our creators made us a certain way to like love our neighbor, to 
in a, a certain way he wants us to live, but ultimately this miraculous or supernatural um, reality is going to catch up with us. And that's the thing that like shows the authority of Jesus's teaching is his his power as creator um, and just as a power to, to do these miracles or do different things. His divinity, like you were mm-hmm. saying, Nathan. For our next question, I, I wrote this question into this talk because uh, uh, I think our students and even myself and Christian and Cassie have probably all encountered someone who may not have said this specifically, but maybe subconsciously believes this, um, are the supernatural things, are um, the accounts of in the Bible of miracles and also the accounts that have happened since biblical times of miracles are, is that rational? So there's a philosopher in the 1800s. His name is David Hume. Um, he was an atheist and he was a philosopher of religion. Interestingly, (laughs) though he was an atheist. Um, and he's actually probably one of the most influential philosophers of the last 200 years. Um, if you uh, were to major in philosophy, you are guaranteed to read something of David Hume. Like, no joke. He's he's just hugely significant. Really, really brilliant thinker. And he actually said that we should um, discount the miraculous, discount the miraculous because it defies the laws of nature. And so we should discount the testimony of others because it isn't in line with natural law and we know natural law to be consistent so we should deny the testimony of others and so there's a great many thinkers who um, have logically asserted something similar so i kind of wanted us to have a a conversation about like the rationality of believing in angels and the rationality of believing that there are demons uh, even that there are god uh, is a god maybe and also the miraculous. Um, we may not touch on each one of those individually, but like the larger conversation of, of the rationality of believing in more than nature, mm-hmm. the natural. Yeah. I think one thing that's interesting, you bring up David Hume. And um, Hume also, he you know, one of his great contributions was he really... Um, some people say he's even like the head of postmodernism in a sense, like because he... One of his contributions was he said, um, our perception of what's real is just based off of what our experience is. So he like mm-hmm. said, he uses this example of a, or somebody I've heard is used an example of a ball. A kid doesn't know that a ball bounces until it falls and they seize it. And he's like, what? And they goes through processes of seeing the ball bounce a hundred times. And then all of a sudden we as as people think, well, that means the ball is always going to bounce, but it's not guaranteed. Maybe the hundred and first time it doesn't bounce. And so we, we, in our mind, we make a history, we make Mm -hmm. these assumptions of causality, but actually we've witnessed the past. And while there is some intricacy, there's not a guarantee that that attribute Mm -hmm. would continue. And so an example he gives is like, I think that Hume gives is like all swans are white. Mm-hmm. says, well, just because we've never seen a black swan doesn't mean there isn't one. And in fact, mm-hmm. when, he did, when he wrote that, he didn't know there were black swans, but there are. There are black <laughs> swans mm-hmm. um, in the Southern Hemisphere. And so it's, it was like 
he was basically saying just because we haven't experienced or seen it. So it's interesting that he would say that because, and I, I think it's, it makes a lot of sense that, you know, he's a very rational, he's very, he, but he would, but he at the same time, like even mm-hmm. in his own philosophy, like talks about mm-hmm. how there maybe is a, we should be careful about just asserting in reality what we see. Um, I listened to this one um, speaker named J.I. Packer. He's a brilliant theologian. And uh, he talked about, you know, that maybe instead of just thinking about, like, are miracles rational, we need to start realizing. And we we have a wrong picture when we start talking about the rules of nature. Um, J.R. Packer, you know, J.I. Packer, he says, essentially, we need to realize that everything that we experience in the world is dependent on the, the will and work of God. So, you know, gravity exists because of God's willing it. And so the net, what we call the natural world is just God in, in his creating and his sovereignty enabling the world to happen. And so when we see a break in that, it isn't like God is undoing the laws of nature. Mm-hmm. God is just acting in nature as he wills. And that we can see a lot of his character and the consistency of how nature is, but ultimately he's upholding everything that we see. And um, it's up to him what he wants to do. So instead of thinking about it like, oh, there are these natural laws. Can God break these natural laws? It's more a sense of, you know, God is creating. He has created. He's upholding things. And he, if he, if he changes his mind, he wants to make something like a hammer float, like in the, in the story in the Old Testament then the hammer's going to float. You know what I mean? Like that's, it's within his power. It's within his will to do these things. Um, an example of this was I was having a conversation. I'm like a lot of people, some people say I'm more eloquent or not or whatever, but I'm pretty good at working with people. I'm pretty good at talking with people. Like that's a, I would say a natural or a innate gift. And I feel like the Lord's helped me be able to make understanding with somebody. And um, there was somebody I've been having a hard time knowing how to communicate with. And um, I didn't know how to communicate with this person. And I even felt like the Lord said, I don't want you to worry about it. Don't don't start talking to this person. Well, an issue came up and I was like, I need to talk to him. I need I'm going to I'm going to try to smooth. I'm going to try to help him with this problem. And I'm going to say something. So I started to speak and literally the words coming out of my mouth didn't make any sense. Huh? Like, it was like what I'm trying to say, all within my power. Like, the, I'm like hearing myself talk, and he's lo- the other guy's looking at me like, who is this crazy guy? Like, he's just like, what his words are. And, and I could feel, I'm like, why? Like, my thoughts are clear. I'm saying stuff, I, and it's not coming out. It's because if God doesn't want us to speak, if he doesn't want us to make sense, we won't make sense. Mm-hmm. And it was, a, it was a check for me. It just happened this fall. But it was a check for me that realizing, like, I've thought this ability to speak and communicate was something within my power, within my control. And it's not that I'm not participatory or part of that. But it was a very humbling moment where I realized if God is the one who enables my speech. God is the one who gives me the power to do these things. And I've always thought of these as more natural, whatever. I haven't thought about the giftedness of life. Mm-hmm. And the giftedness of these abilities and that God has the ability to stop them, to interrupt them, to make them good. And um, 
so that was a lesson for me, you know. And I think I think for us to approach the world like that, um, you know, that medicine works because God enables it to. God enables us to see how medicine works because He enables us to like children being born is it's miraculous. Yeah. It's miraculous. It's an amazing gift. Mm-hmm. Um, but we tend to make it very mechanical. And uh, I've heard the word um, uh, dissecting uh, wonder, you know, like, mm-hmm. or um, trying to destroy the sense of wonder, dismantling wonder, um, that, we, that we decide to make everything, that we try to lose our wonder and our understanding of the world. Yeah, so, so I think it's just important for us to think about the giftedness of life and the, the miraculous of even the normal. Um, but when you have that mindset, all of a sudden God doing things that are outside of our experience isn't actually that fantastic in a sense. Mm-hmm. It's just part of what he does. I think something I was thinking about as you were talking is we've talked a lot in our sermon series about how God loves order. Um, and he's an advocate for that and he creates the world in that way. Um, and so maybe we're surprised by things that seem outside of the order of natural law, if, you know, if quote unquote natural law. Um, But it's really God intervening to bring about some other form of order that maybe we don't expect. I'm thinking of like um, when people who were really old were able to conceive suddenly in the Old Testament or um, the birth of Jesus even, like God's bringing some other order, which maybe we can't see his purposes in, um, but which he's working through. Yeah. in the world, which is really cool. Um, yeah, so that's a thought I had. I think when I tend to think about, like, is it rational to believe in miracles? I think, you know, everyone believes in something. Like, even atheists believe that these things aren't possible. Um, and so, but there's no evidence. Like, you can't prove that. Um, whereas sometimes there is a lot of evidence for the miracles that um, the Bible says have happened. And so... I think that's important to remember is like everyone does believe in something. Like if you sit on a chair, you're believing that it's going to support your weight, right? Um, So there may or may not be evidence for those things, but it's, I think it's equally rational, if not more rational to believe in miracles for that reason. In the conversation with someone who, I, I mean, I talk to a lot of smart people and they have this, I think many think that Uh, the idea of miracles is irrational and they're talking to me and on some level I have to ask the question of like do you think I'm an irrational person Hmm. Um, which is a nice way of saying stupid (laughs) (laughs) and I think most of them would be like I think most people would say to me it's like well no Nathan's not irrational Okay, he's he's a thoughtful person. He can put two sentences together, things like that. And the other thing is, is that there are a number of people throughout history who have believed in miracles who are very, very intelligent people. Mm-hmm. And they believe that the miraculous can, in fact, happen. And so part of the question about, like, is it rational? It's not really the right question, even mm. though that's the conversation, I think. I think I, I agree with Cassie and, like, everybody believes something. Everybody employs the faculties of their rationality to come to conclusions about things. Mm-hmm. 
The thing is, is not everybody comes to the same conclusion. And not all conclusions, I think, are equal. And the thing is, is I think that there's enough reason to believe that the miraculous can happen. There are um, a number of people in the world who, um, in modern times even, who have reported miraculous events. I know a number of people that um, have been healed. Um, I know people... I. I look at the Catholic Church, and they go through a very rigorous process of verifying miracles. Um, and the th- the reason I say that not all conclusions are equal is because I think that the absence of a God in a world that does that loves is a worse world, and a world with miracles, a world with a God who miraculously interacts with us is also a good world. And I don't consider it implausible. It doesn't seem implausible to me. There are implausible things in the world. I think that there's plenty of implausible things in the world. Me being able to breathe under, well, I guess that could be a miracle. But um, (laughs) there are just implausible things in the world. There are genuinely implausible things in the world. But I don't think this is one of them. And if I have to choose between believing in a better world than a not better world, one where there is a God who can uh, perform the miraculous and says, hey, I know a lot of bad stuff has happened in the world, and my promise to you is is that I'm going to redeem it later because I am the God of the miraculous, and I can do that. That's just a better world. And, yeah, so I think rationality is just genuinely not the conversation. Uh, I, I think there are plenty of rational people that believe in the miraculous. And there's rational people. I'm not saying that people that don't believe in miracles are irrational. I think that they're actually very reasonable people. People have reasons for believing things. Um, But it's just not the conversation. Most people are not thinking that way. Um, Most people don't understand. Um, You know, uh, I think I get into conversations with an atheist and they don't feel understood. They think I haven't read books Uh, it's interesting. I talk to students who know that I have a degree in philosophy and they think that they can talk down to me about philosophy. And I'm just like, you've read two books. I went to school for two years and studied this subject. Yeah. And so, uh, and I'm like, I'm not saying that you're irrational. I think it's kind of irrational for you to think that I don't know a lot about the subject of philosophy. At the same time, those students, I know know more about physics than I do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I'm going to ask questions more than I'm going to like assert what's true, what's real. Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, you're the authority on the subject. It's interesting. There's non-Christians who think that they know more about the Bible than me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, have you read the Bible? And they're like, well, I've read part of it. I was like... So, okay. And some of them are like, I have read the Bible. I was like, have you studied it? Or did you just read it? Well, it wasn't that interesting. I was like, there you go. And so, and it's not that they're irrational. It's that we we haven't sat long enough to actually ask questions and be critical and and self-examine ourselves and why uh, we believe the things that we believe. Mm -hmm. I think rationality too is like a... It's like a, 
I think of it, it's probably better understood as a verb or a process, like a, mm -hmm. a rational train of thought. Like it's a way of thinking about a situation. Mm -hmm. But it you can't, rationality, I think most people think of rationality as a, as like a noun or a place or a state of being. Mm -hmm. But rationality depends upon us already having a place of mm -hmm. or an orientation or an understanding mm -hmm. or a, a specific worldview. Rationality itself isn't a worldview. It's a, yeah. it's a process, a mm -hmm. way of thinking. And so, you know, um, you know, rationality, you know, some of your worst, uh, you know, I think the most scary rational person I can think of is like the Joker from the Dark Knight. <laughs> you know, that he's insanely rational, but his starting place is madness yeah you know but he rationalizes his madness mm -hmm. you know and so so i think rationality in a lot of ways is a, a matter of evaluating mm -hmm. or seeing something but but ultimately at the end of the day there's a there's a worldview and so i think believing in miracles can be very rational like we can like you know i think like the position j.i packer had that i shared about that i believe it shows a lot of rationality, mm -hmm. um, but atheists have a have a very rationality approach to believing just in naturalism and mm -hmm. what they've observed. Um, uh, so it, ultimately, there's these faith positions, these sense of of worldview. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. Yeah, I I also just think in the sense of miracles, I think this is worth saying just really briefly is like, I think too, sometimes what we think of as a miracle is something needs to be a hundred percent like like that it can't have any referent in nature so um for instance like so like say somebody's healed by a doctor or, so, or say somebody say somebody's in the hospital and they have a terminal illness and then they're like healed um and the doctor doesn't know how but then they you ask the doctor oh do you believe it's a miracle? And the doctor says, well, their white blood cells just figured it out. <laughs> you know, like, mm -hmm. because the white blood cells are growing or they're fighting it or something, like, usually all miracles have some kind of a natural, there's a natural playing out of a miraculous thing. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. um, sometimes, like, we, so doctors can say, well, it just happened that way and it's all worked out. Even though there's like no, for us, there's like no cause. We don't understand how it happened, mm -hmm. but we do see something happening at a natural level. And so sometimes an atheist or a naturalist will, will look at that and say, well, we can't explain why that happened, but we saw what happened. And so it's not miraculous. And I think it's important just to realize like for God to intervene in the natural world means that we're going to see natural solutions that maybe defy cause, mm -hmm. you know? So like, yeah. so it, and, and I think it also expands this idea of like, well, even if for causal things, like we say, oh, well, um, I gave this injection and it worked, you know, or something like, mm -hmm. like even these things, like there's a sense of like, God still is the one responsible for the movement. He's still responsible for the healing of any kind of healing. Um, and that miracles manifest in real ways. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I think it's important just to try to expand our idea, even what miraculous is, mm -hmm. what it can include, that it doesn't have to mean like, 
all of a sudden this crazy thing appeared or um, you know like in Israel when the sun was darkened um, does that mean like when in Egypt when God darkened the sun does that mean like they experienced the darkness in China so if they didn't that means there had to be some darkening that happened over Egypt so how did he do that but without darkening it over did he do that was there a mm-hmm. cloud of dust maybe and then we'd say well that's not miraculous that's just <laughs> well God can do whatever he wants however he wants to do it um, and so I think it's just important for us to realize like there's there can be a, a way that he does things using nature where there's always this manifestation of the miraculous within mm-hmm. nature mm-hmm. and that that can take lots of different Mm-hmm. Forms. Forms, yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to our next question. So we're going to be moving on into kind of the next section of this conversation. And I kind of, uh, which is uh, meant to be a little bit more pastoral and a bit more about like our immediate lives or about more like less the philosophical, less like the, the past, the historical, uh, and more about like now in our time, mm-hmm. uh, in our century. And the first thing I wanted to ask you guys is, uh, do you have or know of any um, instances of the miraculous that happened in your life or someone you knew? Yeah, I think I think what's interesting about this is I talk to students all the time and I'm like, hey, do you think God still does supernatural stuff today? And they'll go, no. And I'm like, interesting. Okay, so if, if that happened today, like, what do you think would happen? And they're like, like, we'd probably hear about it on the news. And I'm like, well, do you think people would believe it if it was on the news? Um, and they're like, oh, maybe we don't hear about it because people don't think this really happens. And they would say you're crazy. Um, I, I definitely think miracles still happen. Um, I had an experience where I went on a mission trip and um, experienced two people getting healed. Uh, the first was a gal who was my age. Um, she was great. I love her. Um and she'd had an issue since birth where one of her legs was shorter than the other. Um, and so she had back problems from this. She had trouble walking. Um, and we prayed for her. And um, God lengthened the shorter leg. And she could walk fine. Uh, she didn't experience back pain anymore. Um, and she was great. She was healed. Um, and then there was another time where uh, we were doing outreach at this community college. And... Um, We were just starting to set up, so we had nothing indicating that we were Christians at all. Um, We had just gotten there, and this older woman, uh, it looks like she's just been walking around campus, and she walks up to us um, and clearly has a sense that we're Christians and says, hey, God just told me that you guys are supposed to pray for me and pray for me to be healed. Um, And we're like, whoa, okay, where did you come from? This is awesome. Um, and so we got into this conversation with her and she explained um, the health problems that she'd been having and experiencing. Um, and we prayed for her and she was healed. Um, she experienced uh, especially like heat on her back, which is where we were praying for her. Um, like the presence of God um, was heating up her back and she could experience that. Um, so, you know, you hear those stories and I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, you have to believe like that these people aren't making this up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. um, they have no good reason to do that. I don't think we were set up for this in any way. Um, but I, I absolutely believe it still happens. I think we don't hear about it um, because people 
you know, um, aren't, aren't sharing or, uh, mm -hmm. the people that are hearing it are like, yeah, I believe, but then maybe when I explain it to someone, they'll, they'll think it's not true. Um, yeah, which is sad. I think God is still working in that way. Yeah. yeah we have a, we have a woman in our church that when I moved mm -hmm. down to me and Nathan, yeah. when we moved yeah. down to Corvallis, um, there was a woman in a wheelchair for 13 years, for 13 years, she was in a wheelchair like and um, we moved down here, and at a summer fair, somebody prayed for her, and she's never been in a wheelchair since. Mm -hmm. You know, she she walks now, and Praise she Lord. goes to our church, and mm -hmm. and I was able to sh say to my my daughters, remember seeing her in a wheelchair, and then they s saw her. Now they see her walk. You yeah. know, mm -hmm. and um, it was just amazing. You know, God healed her ailment in just an amazing way. Um, I also have a friend of mine named, uh, I think all of us know this guy named Jeff Jenkins. Yeah. Hmm. He was in the DR, the Dominican Republic, on a mission trip, and he got dengue fever. And he was in a hospital in the Dominican Republic. They wouldn't fly him back to the United States. Um, and they were just seeing his white blood count go down, and they're like, you're going to die, and uh, we're going to emergency airlift to the United States, but uh, we're going to do that so you can die in the United States. Dang. And... Uh, his count was like I, I. He can tell the story better than me because he was there. But you know, he was in the on the plane. He took off from the Dominican Republic to Seattle, dying, like seeing his blood. Um, he he said they pulled the needle out of my skin and I, the blood just spurted oh. because there was no coagulate. Like his Dang. blood was so messed up mm -hmm. that it was just all over the place. Mm. Um, they couldn't control what was going on with him. And um, while he's flying, his church is praying for him. Mm -hmm. And um, when he lands in Seattle, he walks off the plane. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just a miraculous yeah. story. You yeah. know? Um, but the truth is, you know, I think it's really perceptive what you said, Cassie, is like, you know, when people see a miracle or hear about a miracle, it doesn't mean they're going to believe. And it reminds me of this story in, um, that Jesus tells mm -hmm. about um, this rich man and the poor man and... Uh, the poor man goes to heaven and the, the rich man mm -hmm. goes to hell. And the rich man asks, um, asks, you know, a representative of God. He says, could you send mm. Lazarus back to life and do a miracle? If they see a miracle like somebody raising from the dead, then surely they believe in you. Mm -hmm. And um, this representative of God says to him, listen, if they didn't believe the words of Moses, if they don't believe the words of Jesus, then not even a miracle is going to convince them yeah. about the truth of who God is. And um, not even if they see somebody rise from the dead. And I have found that to be so true. Mm -hmm. No matter what kind of a miracle somebody sees or anything, it comes down to, am I willing to surrender mm -hmm. to the revelation of God? Am I willing to see, am I willing to like look at Jesus for who he is, surrender my agenda? Because if you're not willing to do that, you're not going to accept any miracle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I, real quick, I know one person, she's, um, I met her at Bible school and she was born deaf, mm -hmm. um, and her church prayed for her while she was an infant and she is now very much able to yeah. hear and she's a beautiful singer. She's just absolutely mm -hmm. wonderful. She's really just a lovely person. 
The other story, and she's, uh, I, I haven't talked to her in a number of years, but I believe she's still a believer. She's married to a Christian and, mm-hmm. um, and all this stuff. And she's just really great. Um, but I know another girl, Christian, I know this person, uh, who was, uh, in a hospital for a number of years, um, unable to walk and, um, uh, uh, was at a children's hospital for a number of years away from her family a lot of the time. Um, and she'd been praying and praying and praying. And one day, uh, I think, I can't remember exactly how the story goes, but one day she just like, God, I'm going to pray again, please, Lord, I don't want to be wheeled off to the bathroom. I want to walk there on my own. I think is what she, what she wanted to do or how the story went. Mm-hmm. She prayed and then she could walk. Hmm. Now, that person does not believe in the Lord anymore, hmm. and she can still walk. Wow. Yeah. Um, she and admittedly, she not all of her health issues. She had a number of health issues, though. Uh, aside from that, but a number of her health issues still exist. But Krish and I saw this person slowly change, hmm. mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, I don't know the details, but started rethinking her healing. And there is, I I think one thing I would say, I don't want to go too much into like spiritual warfare, but like there is an enemy that wants to take away what good things God does for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And this kind of does segue into the next question. The fact that, that um, this girl, like she can walk, but she's still got a lot of health issues aside from that. Um, and our, for our last question, I want to ask, like, why does why do you think that God doesn't always do the miracles that we ask Him? So there are. I know that we have students. I know that everybody. I cannot imagine anyone who is a Christian not having asked God for a miracle to happen, and it didn't happen. Um, we may have students that have um, had a mom or dad that had cancer and asked the Lord to heal them and the Lord didn't. And so I kind of want to bring up that question of why does God not always perform the miracles that we want want him to? I think I think one thought is, you know, I think it's important just to kind of clarify, you know, that some people say I think it's right to say why doesn't God do the miracles we ask him? Sometimes people talk about it like why didn't God hear my prayer? And um, I think it's important to to just say God does hear mm-hmm. every time we pray yeah. and it's always worthwhile to pray to God mm-hmm. um, but he does hear us every time mm-hmm. and he will give us one of three answers it'll be either yes no or sometime later mm-hmm. you know um, but he always does hear us mm-hmm. and he always does give an answer and he always is concerned mm-hmm. um, you know I think I think one thing that's important is um you know, it says in, in, I think it's Second Peter 3, or if it's not, yeah, it's Second Peter 3, where he says, like, you know, we live in a, we live in an age, like Jesus isn't coming back, and so we, or he is coming back, but he isn't back right now. Mm-hmm. And the reason he hasn't come back yet um, is because he wants to be patient so that people can come to know him. Because when Jesus comes back, he's going to judge the world, and people are going to be sentenced um, based off of what they confess about Jesus. But he's being patient. But 
a byproduct of that patience is that Jesus is letting the world not reflect his character. That, that means people are doing evil things, and it means that people are getting sick and dying, and um, a lot of sad things are happening. So I don't think this offers any comfort to anybody that, you know, any, any people who have lost their moms or anything, mm-hmm. but one of the big answers is the reason why we experience hardship or loss or death as believers or is because the age and the time of the world is such that you know God wants people to come to know him and he's being patient to bring the world under his authority so that people can come to know him and so the suffering that we undergo is so that other people can still come to know Jesus in this age until Jesus comes back. That's always been helpful for me to think about, is that there's actually a reason or there's, there's, a, there's a benefit to the cost that we pay or the, mm-hmm. or the hurt that we pay. But there are some times where Jesus heals people, and it's hard to know why he heals this person and not this person. And I, do, I just honestly don't have a good answer mm-hmm. for why, what distinguishes one person from another or why mm-hmm. Jesus says yes to this person, not this person. Um, I wish I could give a better answer, um, but it ultimately comes down to Jesus um, has a reason. There's, there's some reason why he heals some and not others mm-hmm. that we can't know. And um, I do think it is worth saying it, that reason pro- isn't because he likes you less mm-hmm. yeah. or he doesn't care about your mom or dad mm-hmm. um, or that, or even that you didn't believe it or your mom didn't believe that it was possible. Or you um, didn't have enough faith. Yeah. You didn't yeah. have enough faith. And I think it's, there's, there's other reasons. It's mm-hmm. miraculous. It's mysterious why, why he does one and not the other. Um, but that's the difference between witchcraft and faith mm-hmm. in the Lord if we were witches or sorceress, sorcerers, if we were Harry Potter, every time we prayed, something would happen and it would be on us. But the truth is, is it's not on us. It's the responsibility of God. And that's, that's, that's what separates us from, you know, witch doctors, shaman, whatever, is mm-hmm. that we say, we aren't the ones that do this. Mm-hmm. It's not our merit. It's not our value that it determines whether we're going to be healed. It's, it's ultimately the will of God and the choice of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's, that's a hard thing to think about. Um, so, Yeah, I think we get into trouble when we try and claim we understand why it's not happening. Because then we're claiming to know the will of God, and yeah. we don't. I think it's okay to not know that. Um, I think in the midst of that, God asks us to trust him and to believe in his character and believe that he's still good. Um, and when something really hard is happening, that may not be comforting. Um, but I don't think it means that he doesn't care. I find, I don't know if I would say encouraging, but like it's just been tickling my brain, I guess, or really uh, been compelling for me is the first century church, which experienced Christ himself performing miracles and also the disciples performing miracles pretty frequently. Not everybody that they encountered was healed. Mm -hmm. The disciples who were martyred were not bitter at the Lord for not delivering them. Mm -hmm. 
the first century church who, I think Christian, you mentioned this a few podcasts ago, who would uh, be put into cages by Nero and lit on fire to light the city, would Mm -hmm. praise the Lord while they were burning. And they're not bitter at the Lord. And I find that, like, I don't understand that. I admit, like, as a Christian of 30 plus years, I'm like, Lord, I don't understand that level of love for you, that level of worship of you, that Mm -hmm. level of admiration. And they're suffering in a way that I've never had to suffer. Um, uh, one of the most compelling books that uh, I've read is, uh, it was recommended to me by Christian, uh, which is called Tortured for Christ. Read it. The guy spends 14 years being tortured in the gulag for his faith, and the man emerges a very, very loving, very compassionate Christian, joyful Christian, despite really crappy, crappy things happening to him. One of the things that the Bible is clear about, one of the things that's actually written about a great deal in the church, in church history, is that for some reason, the Lord chooses to allow um, suffering to be a part of our narrative for our good. That similar to a parent that punishes his child to teach them, don't do that. The Father allow the, our Father in Heaven allows hardships to happen to us in order for good things to come about. And I don't think that's something anyone really learns easily. I don't think that's something that's. Um, there's very few Christians I've read in history who have actually desired the suffering. Mother Teresa actually says. Oh, how much the Lord must love you to uh, to allow you so much suffering. Yeah, that's crazy. And I'm just like, Lord, I, I don't understand that. That's I hardcore. Don't, that's hardcore. <laughs> that's hard. I mean, yeah. that's, guys, hardcore. Um, and w- one of the things that I is also really important to remember is that the Lord, I think, through the cross says, I know that my love hurts. Mm. I sent my son to love you unto the point of death. And that was not just for you, but that was the way towards Christ's own perfection. For him to be fully glorified, for him to be fully perfected, I think. I mean, he was perfect always. But if he had stopped short of the cross, he would not have been perfect. The way of his perfection was through suffering. And so Jesus, I think, through his narrative, through his story, reminds us that maybe through our own suffering, through our own hardships, through the circumstances that we can't even understand sometimes, is the way the Lord has allowed to be our way of perfection. Yeah, Yeah. and I think it's important to be like, it's good to pray for miracles. It's Mm -hmm. good to pray for deliverance. Mm -hmm. It's it's not right to, we're not masochists. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want yeah. to go through life saying like, oh, if only to suffer, you know, like God doesn't <laughs> want us to cut ourselves right. or hurt mm-hmm. ourselves or go yeah. into mm-hmm. intentionally. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't want us to desire 
you know, painful things just for their own thing. But he does want us to go to him and ask him for deliverance. And ultimately, the suffering sometimes is the answer he gives us. Mm-hmm. And it is ultimately for our good or going to glorify mm-hmm. him in a way that we can't imagine. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about the beauty of those people that were set on fire and worshiping the Lord. I mean, as they're burning and, you know, the rumor was it's, it set, it made Nero go mad mm-hmm. hearing the singing of the Christians while he's torturing them. It just shows the power of God and the, mm. the str- how, how not even an emperor can take mm. away the love of a person, even the mm. threat and the taking away of their life. It's just the power of God. Mm. And that's a beautiful thing, but it's shown through suffering. Mm. And ultimately that in the end is a gift and ultimately a gift. But um, so we should want what's good. But sometimes God gives us what's uncomfortable or hurts. But it's always for a greater good. It's always for a greater reason, even if we don't understand it or, or see it. Well, thanks, guys. Um, thank you guys for listening today. Um, we really want um, you guys to all know that if you have questions, if, if you are struggling with, like, why didn't this happen? Uh, we really want to talk to you. Like, we really mm-hmm. do. Um, we want to be there with you. I think that's one of the most profound things that we have a hard time understanding about God is that he says, I'm with you. And that's hugely significant. So we really want to be with you in these big questions and these struggles that you have. But we do hope that this um, conversation that we've had is, is clarifying for you and helpful in your knowing who the Lord is. And we hope that you might hope for the miraculous to happen in your life and the lives of those you love. Um, We'll see you guys next time.